Amen. We're going to be in the book of Malachi. If you don't know where that's at, it's right before the book of Matthew. So it's the last book in the Old Testament. And if you want to take your scripture out and open up to that, we'll be there in just a moment. After listening to restlessly to a long and tedious sermon, there was a six-year-old boy asked his father what the preacher did the rest of the week. He wanted to know what the preacher did all week long. And, and the father replied, well, he takes care of church business. You know, he, he visits the sick and, and he, he works on his sermon. He counsels people. Uh, and then he has to take time to rest because speaking in public isn't an easy job. And the little boy sat there and he thought about it for a minute. And he said, well, well listening isn't easy either. Wait, wait, I've seen some heads nod out there. It ain't easy listening, is it? Especially when it's something that uh, we don't want to hear. Let me tell you up front, you can relax this morning just uh, because our passage in Malachi, Malachi 1, 6 through 14, is directed more at, at paid ministers and, and pastors uh, than it is at everybody else. And uh, so you can relax and you can listen in and apply what spills over because these verses, they will mess with each one of us. It's a very great passage that we have this morning. And if you have your scripture and have opened up to it, we'll read it together. In the book of Malachi, chapter one, verse six and following, it says this. It says, a son honors his father and a servant his master, then if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my respect? Says the Lord of hosts. To you, O priests, who despise my name, but you say, how have we despised your name? You are presenting defiled food upon my altar. But you say, how have we defiled you? And in that you say, the table of the Lord is is to be despised. But when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you present the lame and sick, is it not evil? Why not offer it to your own governor, to your governor, excuse me? Would he be pleased with you? Or would he receive you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? But now... Will you not entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us? With such an offering on your part, will he receive any of you kindly, says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there were among one among you who would shut the gates that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from you. For from the rising of the sun, even to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense is going to be offered to my name and a grain offering that is pure for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you are profaning it in that you say the table of the Lord is defiled or As for its fruit, its fruit is to be despised. You also say, my, how tiresome it is. 
and you disdainfully sniff at it, says the Lord of hosts, and you bring what was taken by robbery and what is lame or or sick, so you bring the offering, should I receive that from your hand, says the Lord? But cursed be the swindler who has a male in his flock and vows it, but sacrifices a blemished animal animal to the Lord, for I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is feared among the nations. Loving Father, we thank you for your word that you gave through Malachi. Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would illuminate your word and would speak to our hearts. Father, we know that you desire our best, and Father, we fall short all of the time. So, Father, I pray that your forgiveness would be great and that our repentance would be as great. And, Father, that you would be glorified in our gifts to you, our mighty King. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, God continued to respond to Israel's question. They had asked the question, you know, How have you loved us? They were asking him. He said right at the beginning of this chapter, he said, I loved you. I have loved you. And they said, well, how have you loved us? And his response is answering that question by telling them, look up. Look up to my call to repent. And he he said his call to repentance through Malachi was another expression of his love for his people. And this call is most clearly declared in the words in in chapter 3, verse 7, where he says, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. And the people ask him, they said, well, how should we return? How do we do that? How do we come back? And much of Malachi's message is devoted to answering that question, how the people of Israel can come back to God after they've fallen short, after they've wandered away. And the first, this may be the most important area where repentance is needed, and it was in their worship. He's saying in their worship of him, they need to repent. I want to look this morning at at the worshiper's God. I also want to look at the worshiper's gift, and then I want to look at the worshiper's heart. But first we talk about the worshiper's God. You know, the quality of our worship, the quality of our worship is in direct proportion to our concept of God. If we want to have better worship, then we need to know God better. The better we know God, the better our worship will be. You know, during the first half of of, uh, verse six here, You know, the priests, they're probably listening to Malachi delivering this message, and they're probably saying, you know, amen, that's right, God, bring it on, let the people have it. He's not happy with their their sacrifices, he's not happy with their offerings, he's not happy with their worship, and the priests are probably saying, yeah, you tell them, Lord, what he said. You know, it's interesting, because the second half it kind of turns on him and it says, it is you, O priests, who show contempt for my name. Ouch, ouch. God's making it personal for the priests. 
They certainly didn't like what he had to say. You know, these, these priests, they were showing contempt for God, which means they no longer considered God as being weighty. They never considered how important a person God is. They never took the time. They were worshiping someone they didn't even know. And you see, he's calling them out on that. They were despising their duties. They were, dis- they were scorning the sacred because their worship had become wearisome. They were doing it and it become drudgery to them. I got to show up. I got I to gotta sacrifice the lamb. I got to pour the blood out. I got to put it on the altar. I got to build the fire. I got to do it all for these people. And their, their work had become drudgery and they were, they were despising not only God and his great name, but they were despising their offerings that the people were bringing to him. Their worship had become wearisome and they were, take, they were beginning to take God for granted. See, the Lord's complaint against the priests was that they showed contempt for his name. But understand this, that his name represents his nature. His name represents his nature. Six times in these this verses right here, his name is the Lord of hosts, meaning the Lord God Almighty. The one who is above everything. That is the name that is used here. The Lord God, the Lord of hosts, the Lord Almighty, Lord God Almighty. And it occurs six times in this brief passage that I just read. Other titles include Father, Master, Great King. And all these indicate the kind of honor and respect that is due God because of who He is. Because He is the one true God. He is above all. And obviously the priests didn't know that God, they didn't know the God they claimed to worship. So their offerings were unacceptable. And they were just going through the motions like we sometimes do when we allow the extraordinary to become ordinary. When we allow the things of God that are holy and sacred to become things that we talk about and do every day And we become so familiar with them that they lose their awe for us. In fact, intimate familiarity with the holy can lead to a kind of humdrum spirituality if we're not careful. You know, Ravi Zacharias, he says this. I think this is huge. He said, when a man is bored with God... When a man is bored with God, even heaven does not have a better alternative. See, if God bores you, then nothing else will satisfy you either. Because God is the most amazing and awesome person that I have ever known. He is so far beyond us. He is so exciting. He is so rich in glory that nothing compares to him. And if you are bored with God, there is nothing on this earth that will satisfy you. I don't care what you try to fill that with. Let's look at the the worshiper's gifts. You know, when I was a kid, I remember in school, kids used to play house. You know, you be the mom, you be the dad, we'll be the children, and they'd play house and everything. When I was a kid, we used to play church. 
I mean, we'd have people sitting in rows and somebody would be up there, you know, directing the music, you know, and, and then someone else would get up there and they would offer the sermon. And as good Baptists, we always took an offering. You know, it was always a pass. Somebody's got to pass the plate, you know, and hey, there's a shakedown going on in row three over there. But, um, you know, it was one of those things where we played church and we, we, we always need to check ourselves to make sure that we are not doing that these days. That we are not just playing church, that we're not just going through the motions, that we are not just going to church, we should be going to worship. And there's a huge difference. And if you are just coming to a church building, or if you are going to worship the creator of all that is. If you are going to worship the Almighty, you see the Lord required It wasn't a suggestion. The Lord required that all of the sacrifices be healthy and without blemish because these animals represent the ultimate sacrifice, the Lamb of God, His Son. And they began to cheapen that. They didn't want to give their best. They said, man... We could, we could have this for us and, and we could give this one that's, that's kind of crippled, that's got this problem with its leg. Let's, let's give that to God instead. But the Lord required that they give their best, the best of their flock, the, the best of their sheep, the best of their lambs, the best, the absolute best to him because it was the ultimate sacrifice. They represented the Lamb of God, his own very son. See, but the priests, they they brought these animals that were blind and crippled and diseased. Folks, these inferior types of gifts are offensive to God. Do we think that he doesn't know? Do we think that he cannot see? He is the one who has given us breath. He is the one who has given us life. He is the one who has given us ability. He is the one whom all things flow from. You see, he preferred no sacrifices as opposed to defiled sacrifices. And he even called for the temple doors to be shut. Go ahead and shut the doors. If that's what you're going to do, if you're going to offer me all of your leftovers, all of the blind, the crippled animals, if you're going to sacrifice these offensive sacrifices, then just close the doors. Save it. I don't want that and I don't need that. See, they had offered the blind, the the lame, the stolen, the sick, and the blemished. So if you're offering the blind, it might be like this, you know, giving God what you'll probably lose anyways. You know, you rationalize it. Well, this this animal is probably going to end up in the ditch or or injured. Or maybe you want to offer the lame, you know, giving God what's left over. It's all that's left. We're going to give him what's left over. Or maybe stolen, given God what doesn't even belong to me. <laughs> Trying to worship God on the cheap, you know? Didn't cost me anything, so I'm good. I, I think it's fine. Or maybe the sick, giving God what is quickly slipping through my fingers. It's probably going to die anyway. I might as well give it to God. Or what about blemished? giving God what's less than my best. See, imagine in your mind this parade 
of diseased animals, limping and stumbling blindly toward the temple. Their oozing sores may have been covered with flies. And these are the sacrifices that they want to bring to the Lord God Almighty. (laughs) And some of them probably collapsed even before they got there. And this is the reason why God says, is this not evil? This is what you're offering me. You know, if a dignitary came to your home, you certainly wouldn't pull out Friday night's leftovers and reheat them for that dignitary. No, you'd want something good. You'd want your best. You'd want to roll it out. You'd want to use the fine china. You'd want to take care of them and and treat them with respect and honor. And that's what he's saying is they're not even doing that. They're giving him the absolute leftovers. And he says, is that not evil? And it's because the people and certainly the priests should have known better. (laughs) In Leviticus chapter 22, God made it very clear that he was not interested in substandard sacrifices. And here's the principle that we need to take away from this, is that God deserves priority over our possessions. He is the one who has given us everything that we have, the ability, the the breath, the, the strength. These people were more concerned with keeping what they had rather than honoring God with it and giving their best to God. And their hearts were no longer in it. They were, they were coming to church, but it was just a meaningless ritual to them. They had accepted mediocrity in their lives. And here's the problem. Their leaders did nothing about it. Their leaders didn't say anything to them. Oh, that's what you want to offer? All right, all right. Oh, that's what you're bringing? Okay, that's good enough, whatever. And they they wouldn't raise the bar on their people. And so it's these leaders, and God tells them to try and offer their scraps to the government. Offer it to the governor as, as payment for your taxes and see what they say. They thought that God didn't care about what they did. They just assumed, he'll be fine with it. He was last week. He'll be fine with it again. I can get by on less with God. I mean, after all, they were a middle-class people. They'd worked hard. They had high bills. They had taxes to pay. And they didn't have a lot of extra cash. So we're just going to give him what we can get by with. See, our gifts to the Lord must represent our best and not our leftovers. He doesn't measure our giving by the amount of the the gift, but rather by the personal sacrifice that is represented in the gift. You know, Romans 12, 1 says, therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So what are some areas that we can give God our best? I mean, we could devote time to discipling someone. That would be giving him our best. If we spent time working with somebody and discipling them, 
in the scriptures and what it means to spend time with God and to grow in his grace and knowledge. Or maybe getting involved in a new ministry. You know, giving your best. Sometimes giving your best is your time. And if we will do that, if we will give of our time, I mean, maybe being involved in Sunday school or Bible study or, or visitation, maybe outreach or, or visiting with some of our homebound, or maybe volunteering at Feed My Sheep. We go there once a month and we make sandwiches and we cook meals for them and, and we serve the homeless and those who don't have in our community. Maybe it's a, a, a blessing and giving your best is going down and, and helping with that ministry. Or maybe it's increasing your giving, you know, or focus on a new need. Maybe I just want to challenge you, increase your giving to the Lord by 2% of your income. For whatever you're doing, increase it by 2%. I mean, that's giving more. That's doing something better. Maybe you want to sponsor a child. We have People in Kenya that, that are Maisha Kamili that are working with, with sponsoring kids and their education. You're investing in God's people. You're investing in, in his kingdom. Or maybe you adopt a missionary. I know missionaries all over the world right now that need your love and your support. And that doesn't just mean your money. It means your prayer support. It means reaching out to them, maybe with an email and, and contacting them and let them know that you're praying for them. Here's my point. We can all do better. We can all give more and be better about what we give to our king in the coming months. Our gifts to the Lord must represent our best. So quickly, let me... Let me move on the inside here and look at the worshiper's heart. It says, what does the Lord want from true worshipers? Notice his words in verse six, the honor that is due me and the respect that is due me. <laughs> you know, in Rodney Dangerfield, he, he says, I don't get no respect. You know, we laugh when we hear that. But when almighty God says that, we ought to weep. It ought, to, it ought to puncture us to the core. See, far more significant than the gifts on the altar is the heart of the worshiper. Because the Lord wants to find a heartfelt attitude of honor and respect. How do you show honor and respect to the Lord? How do you do that? How do you show that respect to him? Coming before him with an attitude that recognizes who he is and that he and he alone is worthy I mean, he's been gracious to us. He has given us life. He has given us eternal life. He has blessed us. Among all of the people of the world, we are most blessed. Not that we deserve it any more than anyone else does, but we have been truly blessed by Almighty God. He alone is worthy of our worship. I love verse 14 because he says there, for I am a great king and my name is feared among the nations. You know, Ray Pritchard, he, he gives us three symptoms of wearisome worship in the church today. I'm gonna be go, go over these very quickly. Three symptoms of wearisome worship in the church today. You wanna write these down. The first one is this, inadequate preparation. 
This touches on what happens before the service begins. Did you ever know why the the Jewish Sabbath uh, began on Friday evening at sundown? Because the preparation for worship begins the night before. The preparation for worship begins the night before. Are you taking time on Saturday evening to get yourself ready for worship? See, if you want to give God your best, you're going to have to prepare better. I'm going to have to prepare better. We all are if we're going to give him our best. Second one's half-hearted participation. This speaks to what we do when we finally get to church. I mean, because we generally know what's going to happen in a service, it's so easy for us just to, to sit back and just let it happen and really not participate. But if we do, just kind of go through the motions. We're not all in. We're not, there's nothing more boring than trying to worship God when your heart is not in it. You're like, well, what are they doing up there? I don't know. But listen, the people up here in front are not here to entertain you. This isn't your Sunday morning concert. This isn't your Sunday morning entertainment. The people up front here are to assist you in worship. They are to assist you and help you in your worship. You are not the audience. He is. And so most of the time, our worship is empty because we've not not prepared, we're we're inadequately prepared, and we have half-hearted participation. Lastly, I would say there's improper motivation. And this touches the reason we come to church in the first place. Are you here to get something for yourself? Or do you come because you have an appointment with God? See, your answer to that question makes a world of difference. Instead of wondering if a service helps you, or instead of determining whether you liked it or not, the real issue is, did I meet with God today, and to some degree, did I grasp his greatness? Because when we do that, then we are truly worshiping. We're not so concerned about what I'm taking away from it or how this is going to affect me or how this is for me. It's not for me. It's for him. We come and worship almighty God. It's an audience of one. See, I think this is huge. In his sermon, God is a very important person. John Piper, he said this. He said, I've been to church growth seminars where God was not once mentioned. I've been to lectures and talks on pastoral issues where he is not so much as alluded to. I have read strategies for every kind of recovery under the sun where God is not there. I've talked to students in seminary who tell me of manifold courses where God is peripheral at best. I have recently read mission statements of major evangelical organizations where God is not even mentioned. I admit freely that I'm on a crusade and I have one message. God is a very important person and he does not like to be taken for granted. See, I'm challenged by this passage because the priest could have said, hey, it's not our fault. It's not our fault. This is what the people are bringing. They're the ones bringing their garbage to God. 
We're just sacrificing what they give to us. But you know what? God doesn't buy that. He holds the priests accountable for what God is bringing. And likewise, your pastors are responsible to make sure that this congregation does not slip into ritualistic religion that no longer gives God their best. We need to bring our best. And God makes it very clear what he wants, and we must therefore respond accordingly. So I ask the question in closing, what, what's that on the altar? Have we brought gifts that genuinely represent our love and proper regard for who God is? Because if we've been worshiping God on the cheap, we need to repent of that. We need to come before him and ask for his forgiveness. Listen, God always, always measures the value of an offering by its worth to the person bringing it. Giving should, be, should cost us something. You know, Israel had been taught that giving should be sacrificial. We read in 2 Samuel chapter 24 about David. He came in recognition that his sin had led the Israelites astray. That his sin had led them astray and God's judgment had come upon them in the form of a plague. And so he wanted to repent and he came before God with repentance and he wanted to offer him an offering. And he went to a, a man by the name of Aranah and he asked him, he said, I need to buy your threshing floor so that I can build an altar here with the wood and, and with the oxen. I want to build an altar here to the Lord. And Aranah said, you know what? I will give you the, the, the threshing floor. I will give you the oxen. I will give you the wood. It's a turnkey operation. It's a turnkey sacrifice. David, all you have to do is sit in the pew and watch the sacrifice that you are offering. And this is how David responded. Instead of looking for a shortcut, he refused a discount. And he said this. He said, I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. Wow. It was offered free. And he said, no, I need to pay. It needs to cost me. I need to sacrifice. And likewise, we must give sacrificially, not sacrilegiously. So are you giving God your best? Are you striving to give him the first fruits? And does your giving cost you something? See, we can monitor we can monitor how good we're doing spiritually if we will only take a good hard look at our giving, our time, our talents, and our treasure. How are we giving God our best in those areas? Are you leaving God your leftovers or are you giving him priority over your possessions? You see, it all comes down to this. If you ever get a glimpse of the greatness of God, if you ever get a glimpse of the greatness of God and what Jesus Christ has done for you, you will never again play church in your life and you will give God your best for the rest of your life. A glimpse of his greatness.
Let's pray. Loving Father, I thank you for this time and I thank you for your word and I I thank you for how it challenges us, Father. I thank you for how it challenges me. And Father, we fall short. Father, we, we fall short of your glory every single day. But God, you are a great God, worthy Worthy of all of the gifts that we bring. Worthy of of every praise that we could give you. Father, forgive us. Forgive us when we've not given our best. Forgive us when we've tried to worship you and have it not cost us anything. Father, forgive us. And I pray today, Father, that we as your people would return to you. Your word says, return to me. And I will return to you. So, Father, I pray that that would be true of each one of our hearts today. God, that we would desire more of you and less of us. Father, that we would do this for your glory, for your honor. And God, that you would move among us, that your Holy Spirit would be poured out. And Father, that we would see a great revival. Father, that we would see a great outpouring of your Holy Spirit upon your people. Father, our nation needs it. Father, our church needs it. Father, our state needs it. Father, our homes need your revival coming to us. Father, we need it personally. So I pray, Father, that your spirit will fall. Father, we wait. We wait for you. Guide us as we seek you with all of our hearts. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.